0: Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors.
1: Welcome to episode 135 from Panoramic Outdoors. This is Sheldon Grant coming to you live from Brandon, Manitoba. It's not even live, actually. We're recording this. Before we get started, I'd like to give a huge thank you and shout out to Jiffy Ice Augers. If you're looking to get a new auger this winter, go to jiffyonice.com. You can check out all their augers from electric to gas and all their accessories in between. That's jiffyonice.com. Chase, you're on the intro with me. What's going on over there? Are you getting packed up for moose hunting or what? Oh,
0: man, I got uh, I got my spare bed behind me here, and it's all full of moose hunting gear. Um, <laughs> I still got a bunch of stuff to uh, pack up, and I'm, I'm I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety leading into this. I got like a couple, some house rentals on the go right now that I got a small house rental that I got to get tied up before, uh, before I leave, and a couple other things, you know, get the grass cut, and... Uh, obviously finish up a day of work and and all that but uh anxiety is getting heightened here for for moose camp and uh, but so is the excitement man i can't wait
1: oh yeah and talking about anxiety so i was explaining this to a buddy of mine but this moose trip for me is a little bit different because normally i go to like um like a moose camp where there's already stuff in place mm-hmm. One is like i'm going off of you and dylan's information Kristen and jameson's and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's very exciting for me but at the same time i'm like i need everything in my day pack for if we shoot a moose because like we can get back to camp and pick up a bunch of supplies like we got to literally pack shit in there so i'm like going through stuff making sure i have like extra knives and a stone you know what i mean all these little things that sometimes you just kind of forget but you can't forget but at the same time you can make do with what you got usually so
0: yeah 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 exactly and and that's a that's a good point i remember last year when we first went in man i had a ton of anxiety just going into the unknown for that that first camp and yeah. uh things things worked out pretty well for us camp wise so i'm happy happy to report about that and uh We've got the confidence now that we're going to actually expand our, our camp and do do a little spike camp downriver, you know, and uh, expand our grounds and and uh, expand our adventure on this one. So looking forward
1: to that. Yeah, that'll be sweet. I'm uh, actually I saw a to Parker today, my good friend from Churchill, and he was uh, questioning me about the swellfish. He was telling me a guy has one up there in Churchill, and he's got a twenty five on it with a jet drive. And he said they need th- three or four inches of water. And he was doing 23 kilometers up river and 33 kilometers an hour down river with that jet drive. Wow. And yeah, four inches of water and you can go just go through anything. So now Parker's looking at getting one of those boats with a, with a jet drive. And now I'm thinking like, man, maybe that's should- what we should buy because. Yeah. But I'm just to see how this thing's going to work um, in that river.
0: Yeah. Well, the good thing about it too, and I think we spoke about this on an earlier podcast, is like that. Like you said, it, it's, it, it sits very high in the water. Like, there's not much sitting in the water, and it's a short shaft motor, too. So, it's it's going to go a long way as going through some shallow, shallow water. It's not going to be, obviously, as great as a, as a jet drive, but I think the way things are shaping up, sounds like the water is up quite a bit compared to last year, and uh, we got the spare props this year, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to be all right this year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx us, but but I'm feeling pretty confident about our situation this year compared to last year.
1: Yeah, and that and the other thing, like when it comes to camp or going to camps, one thing I always do is overpack my clothing. So now I got it like I got it all laid out right now as we speak, and I'm like, okay, I got two hoodies in case you get one wet, two pairs of pants in case you get one wet, underwear, socks, and then I got all my wool of. I got my long underwear, my lo- like long uh, sleeve underwear, kind of like uppers, and then that like three quarter zip. Mm-hmm. I don't have socks, but that's what I'm bringing for wool love. What are you gonna bring? Well, I
0: got your socks here, buddy. So don't you worry about mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm I'm bringing actually pretty much the same setup. Um, I got a couple of those those uh, crew neck underlayers, like the base layers. Plus, I got the the quarter zip um, shirt as well. I'm gonna bring some of those, uh, one of their their toques there, their beanies, and okay. wear that at night when I'm sleeping, and then like in the mornings and stuff like that. Cause like when it's cold out like that, I I got a different sleeping bag this year. I don't have the mummy bag, so um, I just noticed I always need something on my head while I'm sleeping in the when it's cold out to so just up that comfort level a bit. Plus, I got the socks and the the long johns, but I'm also gonna throw in. Um, I got that piece of North Wool that I'm going to throw in too. So I'm pretty much bringing the full lineup of, uh, the wool love and North Wool stuff up there with me, just in case, you know, you never know what you're going to run into up there. So better have the wool than not have it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Makes sense.
1: If, um, if Dylan and, Dylan wanted to get some wool love. Where'd he get? He's one of the guys coming with us. So where would he get wool love from? Yeah,
0: if you're looking at picking some up, you want to head over to their website, wool.love, and there you can save a bunch of money by bundling uh all sorts of stuff on their website. So the the more you buy, the more you save, essentially. Or you can use a promo code, I think it's Panoramic Ten, isn't it? And, uh, if you don't want to buy it off their website and you're hooked up on Amazon already, head over to Amazon. They do have some stuff on there, but, uh, no promo code on Amazon. And I don't, I'm not sure if you get the bundle on Amazon as well. So if you want looking to save money, head to wool.love or if you want the convenience of Amazon, head over to Amazon and pick it up there.
1: Yeah, that's sweet. I have a big fan of Wool Love, and, uh, I'm probably not going to probably take it off for the entire six days in there. Um, before we get too too much further, we have Alone. You ever heard of the TV show Alone? The last season they had was season nine. I believe it was in, like, the East Coast somewhere. And we have the winner, Juan Pablo. I can't pronounce his last name, so we're going to just say JP. We have him on this episode. We get to talk about his strategy, talk about the TV show Alone itself. So if you are a Alone fan, this is going to be a great episode. And if you're not, it has a lot of... Uh, a lot of good information, if you get stuck out in the woods, if you have to go into survival mode, etc. Not etc. Man, I'm bad with words today. <laughs> Anyways, that's coming up right away. But Chase, I got a couple more questions for you. All right, a couple more questions and a story. All right. Um, is there what's that one? Like when you go to a camp, like if it's deer camp or moose camp, what's that one thing in the grocery grocery list that you always throw in there just for like a little boost? Oh, for a little boost, man. I don't know. Jeez. Um, because I was walking around Canadian Tire today, and this is because October is like Halloween month. I always, when I go to camps, I always throw in a, like a thing of small chocolates and then yeah. throw some in my bag or whatever. Because like after a day of hunting, you need a little like sugar boost, like having a quick little chocolate bar, or like M&M's or yeah, Smarties. Yeah. Or... I was so actually I was, in the
0: grocery store today, and I was, I was, was. Uh, those were on the list to throw in the, the camp the camp bucket, but, um, honestly, uh, like processed meats mainly like sausage or like summer sausage or something like that is like a staple for any time we hit the woods. Um, whether it's camp or just for the day, we always got like a chunk of summer sausage or something in the, in the backpack. So that keeps us going a
1: lot. Yeah. I also packed my little jet boil and a little kettle. I packed that in my day bag this year. I usually take it with me when I go moose hunting, especially if I'm sitting for hours on end. I don't know how much sitting we're actually going to be doing, but it's always nice to have a cup of coffee or even just a cup of hot water. I, I have no problem drinking hot water. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't know. Especially if it's yeah. going to be
0: a cool, cooler day and stuff like that. It's nice to have that heat.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's what's in my day bag anyways. Um, okay, so here's my cool story. So I'm working up north, and um, there's this guy I meet, and he does a lot of like tree cutting um like cuts trees for expiration and hydro right away and all that fun stuff anyways we started chatting and I was he was asking about podcast and I was telling him about this episode coming up and he was just kind of like no way he's like actually he's like I was in for season eight he was in like the top 20 but had to pull out because his like daughter or something was uh getting gra- or was graduating his a bunch of stuff going on in his life where he didn't want to miss out on it right because you can go for three or four months, right? Mm -hmm. So then he applied again for this one, or for this past season, season nine, and, um, yeah, got in the top 20 again. And I don't know what happened, if he got cut or what, but I thought it was pretty cool. You know, another guy from Manitoba that got right, just about right there, right?
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Small world. it is a
1: small world. But speaking of small world, that was another story for you. I was in Kissesing Lake Lodge this past week. Uh, I was there for a few days at work. And there was this uh, couple with their grandson sitting having supper like across from us and get starting to talk with them, thinking like they're all Americans fishing, right? Yeah. And we talking like, Oh yeah, so where about you from? And they're like, Oh, we're from Hamiota. And I was like, No way, I'm from Brandon. So
3: was, <laughs> the
0: just up and, just up the street. That's hilarious.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But,
0: um, I do want to give one before we get rolling here. I do want to throw one plug in for the uh, for the Manitoba Wildlife Federation's Wild at Heart Banquet coming up. I'm going to be there working at it. Check it out. What is it? October 29th? This is the Victorian in in uh, in Winnipeg, so right smack dab in uh, prime time whitetail season. But um, yeah. come check it out. We're gonna there's a ton of cool prizes there.
1: Can we get a table or something or what? Yeah, we could, get some.
0: We could buy one.
1: <laughs> yeah. i thought you had a hole over there you could maybe just give us a free table in the jacket closet or something
0: yeah 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 we'll be the the what do you call them the butlers
1: yeah well that's cool what's the wild so what's should be wild good, at man well the heart is
0: just is just the banquet so it's like a outdoor banquet should be should be about uh, five six hundred people there prime rib dinner this year which is going to be awesome uh they stepped up the the menu option and uh, to make it big is the first time that it, it's going to happen in the last like three years since COVID. So hoping to make it a, a blast.
1: Okay, yeah, I know. But what is it? Like I know you're like a banquet. But like for people that have never been to it that may want to go. Right. Do they gotta they buy single tickets, table tickets? Is there prizes? Is there a dance? There's obviously supper. Yeah. What, what is
2: it?
0: Yeah. So um, right now there's early bird tickets on sale for 90 bucks a ticket. Uh, until October 7th. And then from there, I think they bump up to 120 bucks a ticket. You can buy half a table or you can buy full table, save yourself some money if you want to sponsor. There's there's benefits there as well. Um, or if you just want to be part of the programming, there's there's benefits there as well if you want to donate and stuff like that. We're obviously donating some stuff to, uh, to the banquet. But you come there, have a magnificent dinner, have a little wine, maybe a beer if you're into that. Uh, bid on some prizes there's a duck boat up for for grabs there there's a silent auction there's um raffles and you get to hang out with a bunch of like-minded individuals throughout the night there's some gun raffles going on so there's all kinds of stuff that uh that's going to be up for grabs there that you can stock up on some hunting gear ice fishing gear outdoor gear whatever whatever you're looking for there there should be a little bit of, of everything to uh satisfy your needs so come check it out it's always a good time
1: That well, sounds like a great time i might have to make my way over to winnipeg and check it out
0: yeah prime yeah, rib yeah. dinner I can't go wrong for 90 bucks yeah. um okay well and what else man i feel like we haven't had a conversation forever
1: no i know <laughs> I've been, I've been freaking working and it's kind of fun like not it's not funny um but there's been forest fires up in the north that took out more hydro line more wooden pole structures for anybody that's listening that maybe might not be from, from Manitoba. So this is the second year in a row and it's just like, man, it just seems like it's something that's happening over and over and over again. And it's really cutting into my hunting season, but, um, yeah, we got to get the power back on this time. It's the community of Puckinawagan. So I've been spending a lot of time in that community and, um, what a beautiful area, man. It's like some of the, I, I would say some of the nicest, like terrain in manitoba it's really up and down rocky and like beautiful trees like trees and water and everything mm-hmm. unbelievable territory over there that's for sure
0: yeah it's gorgeous up there man um I, i've spent quite a bit of time in my day doing firefighting up there did a lot of day basing in pocket and uh work out of lynn lake and out of uh cold lake so yeah all, all over uh-huh. that area
1: but like staying at like Kissesing Lake Lodge, we just i we just moved our group over there the last couple of weeks, and then I left. But um, what an amazing spot that is! It's on it's like own little island. They've got cat like a whole bunch of cabins on there. What the main lodge where you have supper, and they got like a lounge and like a little games area with pool table and stuff. But hospitality is like ten out of ten. Service ten out of ten. We're literally there for like an hour in the morning and an hour at night to have basically food and then we're sleeping and Mm -hmm. then we're gone so it's not too hard to look after us but man they're like so nice and just always on the ball like coffee ready every morning like on the go kind of thing and it's it's unreal so if you're giving out a free shout out to uh matto wildlife banquet i'm gonna give a free shout out to kissing because they uh they go above and beyond to uh keep everyone comfortable
0: yeah that's nice man i i know i got a few buddies obviously we we have a lot of connections in like that that northern uh community work and uh, a lot of it's a remote remote access stuff so you don't really know some of these places that you're you're staying in what you're going to get and uh you hear a lot of horror stories you know what i mean
1: absolutely and like one of the lodges we stayed at before that another it was a nice spot the staff was amazing or whatever but like they were trying to like i don't even know how to explain it but we like there's four of us in a cabin Probably the size of your living room, right? With oh, single yeah. bed. I mean, it's just like, it works. It's dry. I'm never going to complain about it. But at the same time, like, you need your space, especially when you're working like a month on the road. You need, like, you don't want to hang out with your, with your, like those guys you work with every second. Like, you need your space to get, get away from things, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That wasn't really working. That was one of the reasons why we left, is just because we needed more space. And, but it all worked out in the end. But yeah, those, uh, those places and like it goes it's like really remarkable on how they can make those lodges run in the middle of nowhere right like huge generator or whatever how that works but like everything else and they have everything right like it's uh it's pretty amazing how that all works
0: yeah yeah there's i mean there's a lot of uh behind the scenes going on there that that you don't really see right so it's uh, a lot of logistics yeah yeah well Man, I'm 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 glad that uh, you're finally back in like normal communication range here for a bit, and then uh, I'm pumped up to get on get going on this moose on with you. By the time this launches, we'll be a couple days out, and uh, yeah, we'll be headed on the train north. Man, I'm I'm so pumped, can't wait.
1: Be exciting. Let's Let's uh, a little more about this in the outro, so people uh, stay tuned.
0: All right, let's roll this episode.
3: Today we're extremely excited to welcome to the podcast uh, Juan Pablo Guenos. Uh welcome to the welcome to the show, Juan Pablo. <laughs>
4: Thanks for J- having
3: me. JP, I'm gonna say JP. Let's go with JP for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh first first of all, we want to congratulate you, JP, on the uh winning season nine of Alone. That's that was huge. Uh we're excited to see Manitoba in the paper for something so cool like that.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's nice to to represent. And yeah, I definitely think that, um, more Canadians should be winning that show. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously there there's, there's limited slots for sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll definitely dig into the, uh, the alone topic for sure. Uh, we're going to, we're going to chat a little bit about your time there and some, some lessons and how you prepped and all that. Um, it'll be helpful for our view our listeners as well, but, uh, before we get moving, we got these things we call five burning questions, and they're just to get to know you. And uh, so answer as fast or as long as you want to, um, but it's basically just five questions to to figure out a little bit more. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, if if you had a last meal, what would it be, JP?
4: Oh, wow. Well, um, that's a hard question. I guess, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'll have sushi. <laughs> sushi. sushi. Nice.
1: nice. Yeah. I gotta add I'm gonna add on to that question too. What was your last meal before you headed out to uh, the show before you went and competed in alone?
4: Um I think it was some kind of it was some breakfast, um but not memorable at all. It was oh, no. <laughs> eggs and toast. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. yeah, like just the day before we left. I think, yeah, just a quick I think so. I think we've had a breakfast, but maybe not. I don't even re- recall.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't that significant. I always kind of thought that if I ever got a chance to go on the show, I'd have some like elaborate meal as like my, my last meal before I starve for however long, probably like a day knowing me. But anyways.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I was on Wikipedia looking at uh, all the reasons that folks would tap out of the the show and uh except for the the winner of course and uh yeah i'm sure sheldon and myself would be out in day three for like hunger like yeah missing our beer
2: yeah
4: yeah like before i went on the show we were at this hotel and and there's like a restaurant in the hotel and we had some like really fried like breakfast skillet and i love that meal and i thought about that meal quite a lot during my time out there but
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's funny all those things stick with you yeah. um okay uh next question then is there anything you're reading right now
4: actually i um i was reading a book from kevin callan the happy camper i don't know if you know him um he just sent me a book to read because i i sent him my book to read and review so it's oh, a nice, nice read, yeah, um i like I'm into canoeing, I like canoeing a lot, so it was it was enjoyable, and also I have like this outdoor recreation guiding leadership background, so that's also another thing that I empathize a lot with his his stuff
3: cool uh we'll have to we'll have to plug that into the show notes, eh Sheldon
4: oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the book is another pen in the river, I think it's called cool
1: yeah we've had um oh man adam schultz on and i don't know if you've ever read any of his books he's a big canoe guy and um we had him on uh probably in the first 100 episodes or so and yeah super interesting uh podcast that was so if you ever have time you should scroll back and listen to that one
3: i think you might enjoy that one
4: yeah for sure I've Heard lots of him
3: this might be a tough one jp but what's your greatest fear
4: um <laughs> My greatest fear is probably like but it's like these like unrealistic uh fears, just like you know, being being tortured for whatever reason and just like by someone that's really, really rough. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like trying to think of all these crazy ways to to make me suffer. That would yeah. be like, but it's not something that I, I I just think that would be crazy to to suffer that.
3: But yeah. Every every time I watch the uh the torture scenes, the the fingernail thing always gets me. I just like, I can't do it. I I have to like look away. Yeah, freaks me out. No kidding. Um, th- I have high expectations for this one. Knowing that you're a survivalist, uh, what's something you you never leave home without?
4: Um, well, pretty much that's I always try to have a lighter on.
3: Yeah that's fire
4: thing. yeah i think with fire like you can have lots of stuff even if you don't have a knife just the fire it's pretty big deal
3: we'll have to yeah i always leave without it with the knife so uh maybe i'll have to reevaluate my my selection here <laughs> yeah I, I actually my leatherman i've been
1: carrying it around quite a bit lately working up in the north and it's coming handy more than normal like normally i used to carry like a multi-tool hunting and fishing but now i'm carrying it day-to-day more mm-hmm. and finding really good uses for it It was actually funny the other day i was talking to a friend about the lighter and i was just like i wonder like what good of like big lighter must have made or must make so much money because nobody ever runs out of fluid usually right like you never use lighter to the end
4: <laughs> yeah. so like
1: they must make like millions of lighters and they all get lost anyways yeah that's my little story about lighters. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do you have a preferred lighter, JB?
4: Yeah, I I like the um, they're the small pSO electric BICs because I think those are better for survival than the regular lighters because if they get wet, you can just pretty much the second time if if you just shake it the second time it will uh, it will light for sure. Oh, oh nice, yeah. yeah
3: yeah I've definitely done some silly things trying to get a wet bic to light like blowing it. A- opening it right up trying to (laughs) heat it up with something yeah things that weren't none none of them worked so (laughs) that's funny yeah um okay we're we're you're doing awesome we're breezing right through these um last one here um something or someone who inspires you
4: um personally i'm i'm inspired by and this might be a bit controversial (laughs) by Freda Huson, I think I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um she's she's been like a, a leader in the Wetsuweten clan like Unistoten. Yeah um it's CBC, BC um, mm-hmm. and she's like fighting for her land mm-hmm. and she's been through a lot. Yeah and that, that's that's one of the person that inspires me the indigenous resistance here in Canada um yeah
3: so yeah the the folks standing up for their their homeland there and their their connection to that that outdoor their lifestyle and outdoor connection there as well
4: yeah yeah like their medicines their fish their like rights to hunting in that area and just having like their healing lodge and and just their their place to live Mm -hmm. their ancestral lands
3: yeah. That's some, that's some heavy work for sure. And they, they lay a lot on the line as well. Yeah. Well, that was a heavy one to, to end our five burners with, but I should have known I should have known when I asked you the, the hard one. So, but I, I, I love that you answered them with such courage. So thank you for doing that. Um, and now like pivoting back to kind of what we're here to chat about today. Um, obviously alone, uh, is where a lot of folks would know you from, um, could you just take us through leading into the show? Lots of articles talked about your physical prep for the show where I think the, the milk, the milk guzzling got a lot of airtime, I feel like. <laughs> um, but what was the, the mental prep side? Like you, you had spent a hundred days in the wilderness leading into it, but like, how were you, I feel like the mental prep game would be the the big part in a lot of ways. Could you take us behind the scene for that?
4: Yeah. Well, I think the biggest prep is just the hunger for it. The hunger for for like wanting to win and and um just want yeah, like wanting the prize too. And and I've been applying for a couple of years and yeah, I, I was just like really, really invested in that. And I, I think just having that hunger makes everything else like a little bit easier. Um mm-hmm. And it was also like my dream. So it's it's been my dream to to live in the wilderness, to forage, to hunt, to trap. Um, and I, again, that makes it like way easier. Um, if you do strong things, difficult things, but you see it as as um, as something that's aligned with your identity, it's just easier to go through. In my experience. Uh, well, yeah. some of the things that I did to prep that are more um, conventional—well, not more conventional—but I I forced myself to do lots of difficult stuff in the months leading to this. Even if I didn't know if I was gonna be on the show, I just uh, started prepared as soon as that was a possibility. I started, for example, showering in the winter with like cold water and here in Canada that can be pretty extreme yeah um, yeah. yeah and it, like every day basically and even if I was camping I would just go into the lake or the river like go for a freezing morning swim um
3: that's some yeah. that's some good <laughs>
4: that's some yeah
3: very deep mental prep and and physiological too I'd imagine. Um, you you haven't been in Pinawa your whole life. Um, what was it like coming to to Manitoba here and you know kind of learning the the lay of the landscape here? Because it sounds like nature has always kind of been an interest for you, and coming into a spot like Manitoba, I'm guessing would be a lot different to to kind of get a handle of what's going on.
4: Yeah, I I spent like a few years in in Alberta near the Rockies and. The weather the weather here is a little bit like colder and more consistently cold mm-hmm. in the winter that was that was, there was some periods of adjustment there um I but like i i I like the winter I like um I like the different seasons and I do like like cross country skiing and things like that so I don't mind the cold as much but there was definitely a period of adjustment especially just but that was more for me in Alberta but I had this period of like knowing how to dress for the cold like I remember some of the first times I was here like my my ears got um knit because I, I came out of the shower with my hair wet into like minus 20 and you get the full like uh newcomer experience into the cold for sure.
3: Yeah. When it, when you were talking about bathing in the in the middle of winter outside, I I instantly got images of like my nipples getting frostbite or something like that because it was so <laughs> it be so cold man. We had such a cold winter this year. Yeah. Um it was awful. I couldn't imagine having to like bathe outside in the winter. It would be terrified. <laughs> um And then, so again, leading into the show, did you, how, how were you kind of prepping for like the, the long, obviously it was going to be a long haul. Did you, you, you were saying you just kind of aligning yourself with your purpose in that, in that way was really how you, how you reframe things to make sure that you were successful.
4: Yeah. So like, I feel, I feel that like, I, I was just so, um, so invested, like so much energy, time, um, thought, invested into these that for me, it was like I had my, my back against the wall. Like I just put myself in a situation in which there was no backing down. Um, like for instance, I, I spent a lot of money on gear, right? Um, just, to, just to get in the show and then I'm like, okay, like if, you don't, if I don't make it to this day, like I'm gonna be uh, losing money yeah just frame everything in a way in which like I put myself in the spot where I had to make it um and also financially, I've been struggling for a few for like a year and a half because I was writing my book and I was working on it full time, so they didn't have a a job to depend on, so all these things really just made me like, okay, this is it, this is the only way mm-hmm. um it's a lot I put a lot of pressure on myself. Which is tough. I'm still dealing with that, um, the aftermath of just like being so pressurized. Now I, I really have to, like I'm I'm laying low, kind of. I'm letting myself go. I'm not putting too much um, stuff into me, like too much tasks and stuff like that. But it's been hard to to get out that much pressure, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah. The one thing that I kind of wanted to ask you about talking about prep and I know we kind of <clears throat> excuse me kind of touched on it but like I've watched a lot of these seasons and you know there's a lot of very skilled talented people when it comes to like outdoors survival skills you you clearly are worked on that mental game um and you got yourself like almost like solidified to be alone like this, so is that tough now that you're not alone like you're back home like is that tough to be around other people is that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Is that why you're laying low? You know what I mean?
4: It, it is, for example, also like it's unexpected that suddenly like I'm a very private person, person and I would right. describe myself as introverted. Um, I can speak out my mind and, and be very overt and blunt. But yeah, now, now I want to show and suddenly I have like all these like people sending me messages on social media and and just being out there and the newspaper and it's a bit overwhelming for me. And um yeah, so that's something that I, I I've been having trouble just like dealing with. And I'm kind of like, oh, I don't want to check my social media at all. And um, but like it's fine, you know, it's 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 what it is. It, it I have so much good things coming out of this and and I see the attention a bit of like, oh, I don't know. But mm-hmm. yeah, obviously it's overwhelmingly positive,
2: mm-hmm. for
3: sure. Well, we're glad you connected with us today, G.P. So thanks for that. Um, I'm wondering, you, you had a few surprises coming out of the show, obviously with some of the the uh, attention and that kind of stuff. Was there was there any surprises kind of when you're in the show or like leading up to the show that you you might have uh, thought, huh, this might have played out a little differently, or uh, I didn't. Obviously, adding like a—I don't say entertainment, but there's a production aspect to to the show. I'm sure to some extent. Uh, did that play in at all? Or I'm—I'm I'm not sure what you can talk about again. But I guess I'm just asking. Anything that surprised you?
4: Well, one of the things—it it surprised me. Like um, the the size of the production is like this. Is my like I I you we see on TV. As viewers, an aspect of the show, and then we can like imagine what the show is. But it's like, wow, it, it's a huge, almost like enterprise. There, there's a lot going on there. Um, in terms of like, I don't know, it's a big production. That's what I, I want to say. Like, when you
3: were when you were going through it, did you did they let you know if if people resigned or uh, or dropped out, or did you just get a call at the last minute saying, hey, congrats, yeah, you won. <laughs>
4: So one of the things that really really surprised me was that um, I thought I would be getting like at least some minimal minimal feedback of like what I was doing there during the production, just be like, hey, like your audio sucks, or <laughs> hey, like yeah, the, the way you're framing everything is just not not good, or you need to. Do, you, I I got a little bit of feedback but like super, super, super minimal. So I was so surprised that it, it really is just like, it's as real as it gets. There's no, no, like any suggestions of you should say this, you should say that, you should do that. Or, yeah. And for me, yeah, I, I, the production never told me like, um, there's these people still in or these people out. It was like, I had zero feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah
3: but you, you got your you have to get your health checked every once in a while from what i understand yeah
4: yeah and, and even that. that is like it's super you can't see the nodes they're doing or whatever it's all very uh tight-lipped so you yeah. just you can you can just guess what they think about you but
1: uh, and that's the thing that i kind of always wondered about and i know like for yourself you've done um like we've chatted about like a little bit of like say let's say like training to train yourself like to be cold or to be hungry Was it was there anything in the back of your mind where you're like man i'm not healthy enough like i need to you know get going here like did that ever cross your mind during your your um time on alone
4: yeah like in the last few weeks i i was noticing that i felt like i was dehydrated a lot of the time i but when I was out there, I thought I was dehydrated for for many days. But then I realized that I was just, um, I have low blood pressure because even though I would like drink as much water as possible, I would still feel kind of like the effects of, they're very similar of being um, dehydrated, like headache, uh, like you just feel off.
1: Um, yeah. And you took it, you took a big, like, and in my mind, you took a risk by drinking like water without purifying it or boiling it which i think is a was a good strategy because you didn't have to waste any time or energy building a fire all the time like you kind of explained it in the show but did that not go across your mind like man this is a huge risk because you you can still you know there's something you could probably catch right or whatever did that ever cross your mind like man maybe i shouldn't do this or you were just gonna do it that was the risk you're gonna take to win
4: yeah definitely like i come from um like a, a formal outdoor recreation background where it's all there's lots about like managing risk and it's all like risk versus reward and you go through these calculations and for me um it was not always like a calculation it was also like curiosity of can i do it like what would happen because you think that when you're in, in these really difficult conditions when your body like your immune system is down your body is struggling hard and then on top of that, you're you're exposing yourself to these. I'm like, like, I guess, yeah, I'm also curious to see how, how far I can push my body and, and also like obviously I checked risk versus reward, but also I was just like, can my body tolerate how how confident I am on my body?
1: Yeah. yeah. And how did it re like I know. There's probably a lot of things we didn't see on the show, but like, how did you react to it? Like, was it after the first couple of days and nothing really happened you? are like, oh, right on, I can keep doing this. Like, there, was there any reaction to, to drinking that water without purifying it some way?
4: No, I actually started like the first day we got there by bush plane, um, like on the base camp, the first day, like pretty much the first hour I went and drank as much water as I could. And then from then on, I just drank water, to prepare before lunch, and I had no effects at all. Oh, and yeah. I was drinking, like, from the start, I was drinking four liters of, of water every day, non-purified, yeah.
3: Oh, wow. Awesome. That's cool. <laughs> you might have to switch up your plans for Moose Camp there, Sheldon.
1: I yeah, I know, hey. Does get beaver fever really bad?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh And I, I was wondering, too, like... The, some of the other contestants there seem like they, they dropped out for, uh, uh, you know, a, f- a few health conditions too and stuff like that. So was, was that all part of the risk reward or is it just the way the, the cookie crumbles sometimes with uh, survival and shows like this? What, what do you think was going
4: on there? Um, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I've been already in those situations because I spent like six months in the wilderness with my partner in 2016 and, and in the hundred days. So I know, I know how my body kind of reacts with, with those, like with the water, with the fatigue, the chronic Mm -hmm. hunger, all these things. Um, I knew that kind of like, I would deal well in that way. And I'm touch wood. Like I'm, I'm a pretty like healthy person in, in the sense of like, I don't go to the doctor often because of ailments or anything like that. Um, but yeah, the thing with nature is you never know what can get you, um, it, can, it can really come out of nowhere. For instance, um, after my, my 100 days in the winter, I came back home and then I think a few weeks later I had some crazy, crazy pain in one of my my molars, like the worst pain I've ever had. And I just thought, man, if I had had that in the bush, I don't know what I would have done. Like, I have no idea. Maybe I would push that, like, um, molar off or I don't know, because it was, um, there was a nerve that was irritated. So, like, that can be really, really intense when it's so close to your brain. Mm. Yeah, like, anything can take you out. And it, it, there's lots of luck. Like, many people can say, oh, it's skill. But... Man luck plays a lot, um, for sure.
3: And in in your book, you mentioned that uh, kind of you one of your maxims or your your sayings is that nature is neutral. Is that kind of where that comes from? It's just that you're you're kind of that much closer to the edge. You're that much closer. There's fewer protections out there. And if if something unlucky does happen, that's just the way kind of nature is at that point in time.
4: Yeah, like I I. That that maxim is quite it's simple. It's like, yeah, nature's neutral, but I like to explain it further and say that, but it can be quite um like it, it likes to throw cure balls. It's just it it can be very unpredictable. Um but yeah, it's it's not against you, like it really doesn't care about you at all. Um, it just is, but yeah, definitely you can't underestimate it, like. There's this saying: the mountain doesn't care if you're an expert. For like mountain climbers, mm-hmm. um, it it really doesn't matter how confident you are or whatever. There's always something that could go wrong. So I I try to prepare myself and be a little bit overkill.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that, that's the thing too. Like I've spent quite a bit of time in the bush, not only with my work, um, with hunting and fishing and stuff like that and the one thing that i kind of always think about is um i kind of think i think the same way is just like it's like you can you can prepare almost for everything but if you do prepare for almost for everything you'd have like <laughs> a trailer full of gear with you right going through the bush so it's like you got to find the the essentials that can help you get out of stuff and then anything above and beyond that point it's just like well that's just bad luck you know like if you uh, you know what i mean like you and, I mean, it could be something so luxurious as, like, a boat motor and then you hit a rock and you don't have a bottom end on a boat motor. Well, you can't prepare for that, so you bring a paddle, you know, instead of another yeah. motor, let's say, right? So, like, yeah. stuff like that. So, when I go into the bush, I'm kind of thinking that way, and I don't know if that's the same – kind of the same thing what you're saying, but that's how I'm kind of picking up on it, I guess.
4: Yeah, obviously, like, it's a balance. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm afraid and, like, always want bubble wrap. I'm actually pretty – pretty comfortable taking risks and like sometimes I go paddling and I don't have a like I I go paddling with my partner and we have just two paddles and she insists on bringing an extra paddle I'm like it's okay like if it happens like we can paddle one paddle or make another paddle right um but I I come from a culture that's comfortable taking risks so I have a little bit that background because um we're sorry it's we're more comfortable taking risks like Like, um, the sidewalks are not painted orange in Mexico.
2: Um,
4: (laughs) things like that, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Chase comes from that same culture then, because he definitely, he didn't bring any paddles to Moose Camp last time we went up north (laughs) to to the Churchill. He would just use his arms though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, kind of around that balance around taking risk, but at the same time, kind of uh, preparing yourself. Uh, a lot of the survival stuff I've, I've read JP is it's kind of looked like just kind of a way to delay death as long as possible when you're, when you're outside. Um, but it seems like you've really worked or your, your, your perspective here, what you're bringing to the table is kind of a reframe in some way where you're you're actually looking to to deepen your connection to nature and your, your preparedness is, is more around kind of like a, a lot of mental reframing and trying to make the best of your situation with, with what you have as opposed to kind of fighting nature to keep it away. You're, you're, you're trying to kind of live with it. Is it, am I on the mark there with that one?
4: Yeah. Um, I think my inspiration comes from nature, like, obviously nature's been way longer there like there than humans or anyone else so like if you want to learn about survival the best teacher is just like the creatures around you and just nature itself and and one, one of the main teachings is taking just like um kind of like following nature and and nature dictates what you should be doing so instead of you setting the agenda is more like, okay, what, what, what is nature telling me that would make the most sense here, for instance, I don't know if there's like lots of snow, um, you might not want to do a fire, you might just want to do a, a Quincy shelter to spend the night. Um, so it's just being more aware and taking just taking inspiration from the creatures around.
3: i I was reading that you were you were inspired by the the bears in some ways to like their survivability and and stuff like that can can you speak to that just a bit
4: yeah um so obviously the bears once like bears are are big creatures and they need lots of food and some bears like black bears um, once they're not having that enough food they just go into hibernation um polar bears work differently but that's because they know they can't get enough food during the winter. So also, I'm also inspired by the beavers. Like beavers build their, their structures slowly, gradually. They also like put on fat before the winter because they know they're going to have less food. So all these things. I Yeah, I, I, I study like all these different strategies that all the animals use to, to survive. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's more about, like, I, I like the survival stuff, but for me, what really, what I really want to do is more about, like, living as close as possible to nature, just, like, trapping, fishing, hunting, um, growing my own food, so that that's what really I'm passionate about, but to get there, I had to go through my journey of survival and just, like, seeing how difficult it is, um, what can be done, how, it, to me, it's kind of like a challenge. How, how can you survive the longest in the wilderness? And I've come to the realization that you need a community for sure. And in our current society, it's really hard to just escape. We need to have like one, one foot in, in civilization and one foot in the wild. You can't really like severe the connection. Um, so it, it's very tricky, but yeah, my, my dream is to have a community and just do all these things. Yeah.
1: I've always said to myself, like, uh, I don't, I don't think I'm like as hardcore as you are JP. I'm going to, I'll admit <laughs> that right now, but like, I, I've i always kind of wanted to have like a little acreage, um, you know, I might have like maybe a couple of chickens in a garden kind of thing. Right. But like have some sort of that connection of like, kind of supplying my own food. Unfortunately, my, right now in my career i'm just not around enough to kind of establish that which i which i should i guess but but yeah like i've always kind of thought ever since as far back as i could remember like i have this huge passion for some sort of survival or how to survive and at the end of the day it's just like hey, okay, well you know um maybe the closest thing i can get to that is like an acreage and kind of supply my own food and looking after myself on this earth the best way i think i can you know what i mean so I, yeah. it's yeah, it's very uh, admirable, I guess, to hear you th- like say those same things because, um, you know, the passion's the same. It's just minds just at a different level, I think.
4: Yeah, yeah. we're all different spectrums.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I think I was really excited to have you on too, JP, because when I was reading your work and you're speaking about reestablishing that connection to to wildlife, to to nature, to plants, I mean, I. have I feel like that's one of our, our main goals here in some sneaky way with panoramic a hey, Sheldon is just kind of, it's all about that connection. And Absolutely. Uh, we, we do it through a podcast, but um, you know, it it's just so vital for, for, I mean, w- what happens is, is we get like, we get pictures of, you know, maybe, maybe a first time hunter will send us a picture, for example, of, of them going out and getting their first goose. And that's just some of the, the coolest stuff that we can we can think of i i would say um because it just shows that people i think people are really craving that connection at this point in time because you you've said we've been kind of divorced from it for for a while now with the way we've structured things yeah um and then so your your book led into kind or of, it was prior to your time on alone so i almost feel like it was like a, a a cheat guide for, <laughs> for going into alone. But uh what was the, what was the inspiration for the book? What made you kind of say, Hey, I, I I want to write a book on this. This is uh this is JP needs to put his voice into the world on, uh, on survival here.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I guess it was a bit selfish. I was like, it was not, not as much as like, I want to get my word out, but more like, I'd like to have this book for myself. Um, because when I, when I went into the bush before, for six months beforehand, I, I tried to research as much as possible and read, and I just couldn't find, um, yeah, like I, 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 I read all these books and they, they were just like little bits of info here and there. And I had to really, really try to bring everything together, uh, to, and I got my ass kicked that first six months I, I went like. it was lots of of lessons learned everywhere and yeah I just thought you know what why why don't I start compiling all these lessons into a book and from there I still from that experience because I I did not spend the winter out there I I just didn't have didn't feel like I had the credentials enough for writing a book yet so then I did the the 100 days in the winter, and I thought, okay, I've gone through a winter out without being under a roof. I think I can write this book now. So, yeah.
3: That's uh, that's pretty awesome. I know Sheldon's a big fan of or really wants to get into winter camping. So, we, we might have to dig into that a bit. But we're even where he's heading up this fall here, move something. It gets pretty cold in the tent in, in the fall. Um, any, any tips? I, I saw you made your own your own stove out of tin cans there and some clay, which was very impressive. I, hopefully we get a better or like a more permanent stove than uh tin cans and clay, oh. although the clay probably held the heat pretty well, I would imagine. Uh, But any, any tips to that, that, that winter camping thing, you know, things that folks normally don't consider any of those lessons that you learned real quick on those hundred days when you were out there.
4: Well, I, it's super important to have good mitts and good boots. Like mm-hmm. that really is key for me. Big, Like those big um, here in the army surplus in Canada, you can find the Raver uh, Arctic mitts. Those are really good. You can also buy them new. Those are really good mitts. Um, and boots, the they, um, Canadian army surplus mug clocks, they're also pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, really, there's no escaping the cold. You have to learn to, like, it's it's kind of like with Gore-Tex shoes, like these companies create Gore-Tex shoes thinking like, oh, you you want to protect your shoe from, from the wetness. It's like, no, your shoe's going to get wet. Your socks are going to get wet. You want a shoe that breathes well, that dries well. So the same with, with winter. I think it's not more like, instead of thinking oh i want i want to to have something where i i won't get cold it's rather think okay you're gonna get cold no matter what your feet will get cold your hands will get cold but you want clothes and gear that where you can rewarm fast um mm-hmm. so big mitts instead of like gloves, you know mm-hmm. and Interesting. yeah, and, and just yeah
3: do you do you, uh, have you used fur at all? Like, would you, would you say anything about fur? Uh, like, uh, either like a coyote or th- stuff like that. I know some people even farther north use like caribou and seal and stuff, stuff like that. Do you have any experience with that?
4: Um, well, mostly on hats, uh, and I'd say in boots is good, but they, the one thing is like it wears faster than like mm-hmm. synthetics, right? Like the sole. But yeah, um, also a good a good trick that I learned from a local in Labrador is uh, if you gonna if you want to get your your boots your feet warm, just put them in the snow when they will get really really cold. Like your your body just flushes um, warm blood into your feet, and then you can mm-hmm. just dry them, and put your socks and your boots quickly on, and all that heat will be store there in your boots
3: no way interesting
2: yeah
3: Yeah, because i've been up in the tree stand before and i've been not moving and i my feet and my hands get very cold and then i'm saying oh man my core feels warm but like if there's only if my body was only smart enough to just keep pumping blood down there um then then i'd be fine but it, it it wants to shut down and protect all those organs right so you're saying if i if i dunk my feet in the snow that uh that it's gonna kind of flush some blood down there
4: yeah for sure and then you like you quickly try to to trap that heat but what you're describing in that situation if you're on a stand you're not moving you also just want to have like a really higher like more warm of a core so that then like your blood flushes into your extremities okay it's tricky but like um yeah you start to learn all these things quickly when you spend a a whole winter out there but really it's like yeah your feet are gonna get cold and your your hands are gonna get cold and the issue is just not having so cold that you can't do stuff and and you don't make harm you don't do harm to your body but just reality and hot tenting is nice hot tenting is really nice
1: yeah and that um I don't want to really want to jump back to the show much but talk about you know your time when you spent that hundred or whatever how many days in in the bush in the winter time like and you you have mentioned uh before in the earlier in the podcast about like extreme fatigue so like is that when it's that cold out and you're like in a shelter of some sort are you even really sleeping or do you find that you're like maybe going a long time before you can you know get your body warm enough to fall asleep or how does that work like i don't know i've never done it so
4: well, I think um, it's interesting. Well, in 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 alone, I I had lots of trouble sleeping. Okay. Um, my my shelter was by some like really big trees that will crack with the wind a lot and make like huge Ooh. like like loud noise. So, it, and it's Labrador, so there's lots of wind. Um, so yeah, during the nights, I would get all these like cracks throughout the night, and I think also when you when you're Starving, you get a little bit of insomnia too, and the, the nights are so long that if you sleep a lot, then it's hard to sleep so it's a it's an interesting situation and and I was definitely like struggling with the, the lack of sleep um, When I was in the bush for a hundred days i, I don't re- I don't remember like being bothered by the sleep, but I also had earplugs, so that was nice during storms to just um not hear any of that noise but yeah you definitely want to like it's super important to be warm especially if you're sleeping if you're spending so many days out there you you basically have to be warm um and the, the best thing for that is just like wear your clothes to bed make sure they're not uh you're not bringing any humidity into your sleeping bag um like that's very important but yeah and like put on your hats and try to be smart about like eat all those little tricks about winter camping like eat just before you sleep and all that works
2: oh yeah
1: and you ever like get worried about like getting too hot or like sweating and then being like then you'll have that humidity or or no
4: yeah like you definitely don't want to bring any humidity you don't want to sweat um just bring open your sleeping bag but it it it's important like dry dry your sometimes that happens but just dry dry yourself off Mm -hmm. Uh, as best as you can and go back but yeah
1: Hmm, that's interesting
3: i've noticed you've built some pretty major structures as well in your your survival routine from uh from a stove to a a dock um is there is there anything you're particularly proud of or were all those like really helpful things do you think like the the dock was pretty cool but like uh Like, uh, is that, is that something that you found super helpful? Like it it's, I would never think to build a dock if I was in a survival situation, I'd just be like, maybe I need a longer stick or something, but (laughs) like, uh, what was your, uh, what was your thinking around some of that? And, uh, do you think it paid off?
4: Yeah. So, um, I think it's really nice to have all those projects because then you're, you're entertained. you, you have something that keeps you busy. And and like some of those can be a major payoff. I I wanted to do a raft, that project didn't work out.
2: Mm-hmm. So
4: then I decided to do a dock and we had to do fly fishing there and I didn't have much space for like um, getting my rod back at all. It would just tangle every time. So for me, it was like, if I wanna fish at all, I have to make a, a dock. So that's why I, I did it. Um, Yeah, and it was nice. Like, I was surprised it wasn't hard to, it was hard to put (laughs) in the water. Mm
2: -hmm. That
4: was tricky. They do not show much about me, like, struggling um, (laughs) to put it there. But, yeah, that was very tricky. Um, I'm also pretty proud of the stove. Like, I've never done major, like, clay work, and especially, like, with a chimney. That was all improvised. Yeah, I was expecting to have rocks there, but there were no rocks in my area. Like, I think there were two rocks in total in my <laughs> hole. Like, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it's pretty fun. Like to me, it's kind of like being a kid again, just doing that clay, just playing with clay, and and doing. Um, it's very satisfying. It's like artistic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So that was an example, kind of where you had to roll with the punches again with uh with the old natural setting yeah you couldn't you're banking on rocks but you had to go with clay and, and that turned out to be a good improvisation it sounds like
4: yeah yeah it's we're really put in a situation in which even before the show starts we we don't know where we're going getting dropped um it really is a jump in the dark and there's all these challenges that we we can't it's quite like it's quite a crazy experience <laughs> mm. to be dropped into that situation.
3: So now that you've done like this extreme camping, can you ever go back to like just leisurely camping with with you know like a little bit of power maybe and there's a warm shower maybe just around the corner kind of scenario or is it going to have to be survivor
4: bust from now on? <laughs> <laughs> um well, I'm I'm actually going to do my Ontario tomorrow I'm starting so I, I've been doing a few like canoe trips and stuff like that mm-hmm. um I don't do much car camping but mostly just canoeing and, and camping for sure mm-hmm. backpacking and yeah like I know I cannot be intense with my partner and <laughs> like that so <laughs> I have to adapt
3: yeah well even the Montereo's no uh no leisurely hike it's there there's still a lot of obstacles there and stuff like that so i think your your scale might be a little different there jp than a, <laughs> a lot of folks yeah some people like the fifth wheel trailer right eh? and uh you know yeah for sure the televisions <laughs>
2: yeah
3: um i i want to ask about your your winnings there i've read that you're you're planning to invest them in like a kind of a uh, a community of of like a homestead style kind of living Mm -hmm. um is there anything particular that you're you're really looking to to put in place anything that you're really hoping for
4: um well the main thing is we want lots of land um lots of water like a place where we can be there by a lake or a river and just the ability to to hunt um moose um like fishing it must be a good place for fishing like I'm a, basically i want paradise right but
1: um
4: <laughs> Don't we which all? is sweet. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. hard to find right like um yeah and just that wilderness feeling and then you just have a few houses where we can start to have some like um greenhouses um solar panels, all that stuff. Just try to be as resilient as possible and as self-sufficient as possible.
2: Mm-hmm. But
4: I I do want that, like, it's very hard to get that community helping each other when, when you can just go to the store to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that if we're a bit more remote, then we can have more people helping each other and just having that sense of community because I feel... I feel that we've lost that tribalism, that like sense of community and sense of place uh, Mm -hmm. as a society. Um, And I think it would be really cool to have that in a different way, because I know we're not used to to living in that environment with so much like community and so much sharing. Like there's there's obviously some communities that do that. Right. But but most of us don't do that. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. But I think there's there's some really cool things about that.
3: I'm I'm also wondering if you're maybe forecasting a little too like I've I've heard you talk about kind of the the climate climate crisis a bit and you know uh you know just how important it like you don't like the idea of bugging out for example I I've, I've read you 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 recognize that we are interdependent or that we need to rely on each other in some ways so are are you also kind of kind of Protecting yourself here a little in the future, do you feel, or like you're building yourself a future here in some ways as well as we might encounter some new challenges? Is that what I'm hearing?
4: Yeah, yeah. Like on, on one side, it's been my dream to to live this life, like ever since I was a kid and way before I was um, aware of any like potential challenges we were having as a society. But I definitely see our society in a predicament. Uh, with like economic, social, environmental challenges. And I think the more the more people start pioneering these kind of communities and, and really like learning about how to raise like potatoes to feed a family. Like those those skills are are very key, especially in a place like Canada where where there's so many remote communities where like shipping in food and things like mm-hmm. that is, is can be a major challenge. So, and we've we, we've seen with COVID how supply chains and and even with Russia Ukraine like how things can change quickly. So, um, yeah, I I wish more people. Basically, I see it as a, I almost see it as a mission, as a responsibility. That you know what, I have this opportunity, I have this knowledge, I have this motivation to, to pioneer at this kind of like resilience based community. So there's not many people that are young like me and have the means and have the motivation. So I feel the obligation to do it just because I can see the writing on the wall.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: I hear you on that JP. So you just let us know where to apply. Um, I have to, I have to talk to the, the wife on that one, but, uh, before we move to a Northern remote moose camp, but, um, if there's if there's moose there we might be in um (laughs) i know sheldon had a few more questions about the show though sheldon did you uh do you want to hop in
1: (laughs) yeah for sure i got a couple questions about the show and just kind of like follow-up questions to maybe now that you've done it um and some reflection maybe but you know the one thing that i always i always kind of laugh at myself because i i do a lot of driving and i'm alone driving right and then i realize i start talking to myself You know, and then I'm, like, singing out loud. I'm doing all these things. But, like, being alone for that much time consecutively, like, how hard is – I know a lot of people always say, like, oh, survival, you know, you got the the mental game is the biggest thing. But, like, being alone, how like, how tough was that? Like, what what can you reflect after doing it?
4: So the best way I would describe how it feels to be alone and, like, even – I've even had a chance to be even more alone than being in the show when I was in the winter because – there was basically no human in 60 kilometers around. Um, And when I was in the show, there were humans around, Um, like obviously not close, but the crew was there in case of medical emergencies. But the best way I can explain it is you do feel like some, well, there's some people that are are hermits by nature and those are a different category. But I, I believe if you're like, regular person uh you'll feel like a hole in your in your heart um there's like this uneasiness that never goes away that like you're definitely on the on your own and if you screw up like that's it (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. um but yeah like you definitely all all you miss friendships and family and just any sort of interaction all these things get intensified so your love yeah for instance, you, you have that craving to be with your family. And if you have a partner, you have like very, very strong cravings for that, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think being alone, like the mental game from you and myself would be uh, yeah, I think it'd be a tough thing. The other question I wanted to ask you um, now that you've done the TV show and maybe for anybody that's not listening and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're allowed to take 10 items with you from a list. Was there anything that you would have, taken like change something out or if you could like add one more thing that was maybe wasn't even on the list like was there anything that you you thought man i should have had that instead
4: when i was there i i i thought for a few weeks that maybe i wanted to have um a ration instead of fishing stuff like i just had that like oh how much how much calories did i get from from fishing how much calories? Would i had gotten like just from a ration? and but but then then that thought stopped and i was pretty okay with my choice of things i i brought something that was super versatile for basically any region in canada um yeah and i'm content yeah one one of the things that i wish i had had maybe was a gillnet if we were allowed to use it like to me a gillnet is definitely or or just you can improvise with cordage, but like a good gill net mm-hmm. with sinkers and floats, like if you want to survive long, that's the ticket.
1: Yeah. And like, did you kind of take that same um look or like take the same items on your like a lo- like your own trip for a hundred days? Like, did you try to mimic what you'd be able to take to the actual <laughs> show when you're kind of doing that training or whatever?
4: I guess a little bit, but but not really, because I, I brought like a twenty two on. Oh, yeah. And yeah, like I I I I brought a, a tent that I made and so right. it wasn't like I, I did experiment with some techniques and like some ideas about like maybe like doing a Quincy and things like that. Right. Um but it wasn't really it wasn't like a training uh, trip specifically. It was more about like I wanted to experiment being in the winter and seeing how would you how could I survive in like a Manitoba boreal forest in the winter? Um, just try to crack that puzzle.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so crazy because like every episode or every season that I've ever watched, it's like I don't know these people. Like some of the people, like they build these elaborate like almost cabins, and they get like three quarters done or they get them done, but they don't they don't last that long. And it seems like the people that are lasting longer are building like the same old you know Quincy or. You know, A-frame, lean-to type survival shelters—the ones that actually survive the longest. They're like not trying to build a house; they're trying to survive. And it's yeah, it's kind of crazy how that all works out.
4: Yeah, it, it's tricky because um I don't know. It's kind of like you're you're on borrowed time. You don't even know how much you're gonna last. And in my way, also, I I see how animals build their shelters, and it's all gradual. Like you don't just mm. like do it in one or two days or or a week. So for me, I, I I did I never finished my door. Day oh. seventy-eight. Day seventy-eight, I w- I still had like a huge hole in my door that I was planning on still like building up because <laughs> I was getting ready for like the real winter, you know? Yeah. Um
3: JP, you know? are you in my house right now? Because my door is still not finished. I think we're going on day. <laughs> 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 yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. No. Um, I hey I noticed you you mentioned twenty two, but I also noticed that the three hundred eight made the survival list. Is that is that one of your preferred calibers? I just wanted to
4: ask about that. Um, for me, it's just like, uh, but a bit from a survival uh, perspective, it to me just makes sense because it's the NATO uh, standard. But like, what for me, what would make most sense is just see what cabins in your area like what casings you find and like what the local like people use mm-hmm. I think that's the best because you never know if you'll find yeah if, if, if you're in need of bullets or whatever and you go to a cabin and sometimes there's some bullets there or or you might need to um go to a fishing lodge or fish or like hunting camp in a region and yeah yeah
3: mm-hmm. Sheldon's in need of bullets right now, and we're we're a few weeks out from a trip, so he's he's he might be in survival mode here too. Yeah, kidding. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the thirty odd six would be the only other one I could think that would be really popular. Um, because the you're right. The I guess the three oh eight with the NATO
4: standard round would probably be a lot of ammunition around. But honestly, like whenever I see a cabin, it's almost like or or. I don't know. I found like, for instance, in a camp, just an abandoned like um, gun case and some like bullets there, and I almost always it's seven seven millimeters. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know why. Like maybe in this area, that's that's what people use. But,
1: it's a very it's a very popular like moose hunting cartridge, right? So, um, Northern Manitoba, even on that east side there too, there's probably a lot of uh, moose hunters, right? So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Where there was at some. Uh, some points
4: yeah i just suggest the trio eight because uh like my book is is mostly for like ideally it's for canadians but i know that most of the people buying my book is also like from the u.s and um yeah and that survivalist uh, mindset of just like the government stocks nato so mm-hmm. there's lots of NATO bullets for sure
3: mm-hmm yeah. i guess it's kind of like my range finder for my my bow it's like it sure or it should sure be nice if they had double a batteries in that thing but it's got some yeah weird need battery <laughs> so if i if i ever needed that thing for survival i'd be screwed because i'd never find that that battery again in my life um yeah. amazon would be down um and then lastly jP i want to ask like one of the main tools you seem to carry with you is the gratitude. Can you just explain the role that plays kind of in, in your practice and how that kind of helps you uh, stay outdoors a little bit longer?
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, my, my time alone, it was really, there were definitely some very difficult days. And the one thing that I would always try to do is just do do a set of reading um just like deep deep breathing, and i i learned that pretty early in my life the deep breathing sets and then the gratitude just thinking like three things that you're you're thankful for each day just different things and it's just like a reminder like we we have this hunter-gatherer brain that is wired to see problems and to see things that are off and and basically maximize like yeah, things that are weird or that are problems or mistakes. So we can have lots of negativity and a good way to balance that is just by being grateful. And it's funny, I think the normally the body just, in, in my experience, the more difficult something is, the more I'm like, oh, I need to be thankful for these things because uh, there's just lots going on. Yeah
3: our buddy actually made it out of a very serious situation, kind of using a similar philosophy. He, he had put his snowmobile. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but he put a snowmobile through the ice and uh, he, uh, he was delirious and um, also struggling to get his heat up, but he just kept saying good. Uh, if he, if he found himself like thinking, he was like, good, I'm still moving good. I'm still breathing things like this. Um, And that was actually able mentally to pull them through that scenario. So it's just, it's amazing how much mindset plays into that kind of will to survive.
4: Yeah. And I think it's also even naturally from the brain, sometimes it's just like uh, the brain knows that it's, it's a challenging situation and it acts accordingly. Like it -hmm. just starts to say these things because basically you need it. Like we're not, we're, we're a funny type of creature in which we are very like logic, like we, we have a, like a, a thinking, we're very thinking, but sometimes the brain is like, Yeah, you need to like this. The brain just steers us to think some specific ways because it needs us to get out of there or mm-hmm. um, do specific stuff. So
3: interesting. Yeah. It, uh, it adapts itself.
4: Mm
2: hmm
3: well jp we we want to thank you for coming on the show today and uh sharing your insight and we also are just super excited to have uh, a famous manitoban on the show as well so uh thanks for your thanks for your time and sharing some of your knowledge
4: thank you so much for having me and for organizing these um yeah it's nice to to be with fellow manitobans and and just share these stories um, and connect like yeah i'm not i'm not doing many podcasts but with you guys i was like yeah definitely definitely have to do this one that's yeah, awesome. pretty
1: That's pretty cool because like when i first turned on the first episode and it was like you're from penila i was like geographically i was like already a fan i'm like freaking rights man someone's <laughs> Manitoba, let's do this because like and a lot of times too it's like on those shows it's like oh there's a couple canadians so you kind of like you know cheer for the canadians but it's like oh there's a guy right in the back in my backyard right on So yeah, huge fan from day one. And it's pretty cool to have you on the other line and asking you some questions about a show that I've watched for set nine years. (laughs) So
3: yeah. Cool, man. If uh, folks want to get your book or uh, follow along in your next adventures, JP, where's the best place to take a look?
4: Yeah. So my book is titled thrive long-term wilderness survival guide. And you can find it like the best place is Amazon. Um, yeah.
3: Well, cool. sounds great. Uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you around maybe in the bush even.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully for sure. That was episode
1: 135 with JP. Um, another great episode. I'm, I'm in, I've been a, a lone fan since it came out, like the very first season. I think I've watched every season, maybe missed one, but like the, one of the things that I've always kind of noticed it's the people that conserve the energy that wins these, these contests, right? Like, he conserved his energy by not building fires in the later time he was there and collecting wood and all this stuff, and he just survived. And I think that's probably why he, he won. He's conserved his energy and didn't have to eat as much and made her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I haven't, I got to uh, dive into this one yet. I haven't, haven't uh, dove into it, but um, by the sounds of it, he, he's like, he also, like, kind of lives and breathes this stuff kind of, too, just for a passion, right? Yeah. Which is pretty cool.
1: You know it would be pretty cool as if you could combine, like, Survivor and Alone somehow and make, like, Alone guests play against Survivor guests and then, and then see
0: and then get, get naked and afraid in there, too? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh man so so what's your what's the thing that you're most excited for moose camp right now what's what's going through your mind what are you pumped
1: pumped about well to be honest with you i'm very excited about just getting there like it's one of those things that's always happened to me since day one like of doing anything traveling or whatever it is it's like i gotta get there once i get there then i'll calm down a bit and like relax but the last couple days like with work and Coming back down south, getting a bunch of shit ready and then having to drive all the way back north, jump on a train for whatever it is, five hours, and then get there and then get your camp going and then you get to hunt. Like once I get there it'll be be pretty pretty cool. I'm actually very excited to see if we can catch a trout or two, but um I'm excited just to just to get back in those moose woods, man. I haven't been out there for a couple of years and um yeah, I love moose hunting. It's probably my favorite favorite favorite.
0: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it too, man. And I'm I'm the same way, man. The anxiety is high until you get to camp, and then, and then once you start getting things sorted out, it's it's all it's
1: all downhill from there. Um, it's like when you get wait. there, and you have that first, whatever it may be for you, like have that first drink or have that first cup of coffee there when you can just like breathe a little bit yeah. easier.
0: Put your feet up for a second. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah that's great.
0: Wow. But I think it's cool. going to be sweet traveling that river in the swell fish. and the Swellfish. Uh, and, man, I'm I'm pumped that we, you know, got some adventure planned into this trip. And we got some areas kind of zeroed in for some some uh, high moose activity. And uh, fingers crossed we get lucky. Oh, Put man, in the we're time.
2: Gonna, we're going
1: to be pulling a f- big, bold bull off that train on the way home. I'll tell you that. For I know, so I'm
0: strapping that baby to the front
1: panoramic fucking guarantee um so you when you help lewis there with his elk you did the gutless method do you think that's something you would incorporate in this hunt if we get uh, a moose on the ground
0: i think so man it's so much cleaner than uh than gutting an animal out and uh dealing with the guts
1: and how like how much t- is it like cleaner versus time do you know what I mean because like in my mind you could gut a moose and get it quartered, pretty quick, you know? Yeah, I'm not saying pretty quick, but I'm just thinking like if you had to skin out a moose, it would just it just seems like it would take a long time because normally, like in all all the moose that I've shot, we gut them and then quarter them, and a lot of times we might leave the hide right on them to get them out of there just to keep it cleaner. Right, right, and then meatball and then skin out the rest of the the hide off. Yeah, and let it. Hold uh hang for a bit but i'm very really interested in the gutless method
0: yeah yeah we've done it both ways where we've we've like quartered and skinned and quartered and uh quarter with skin on too but um i definitely give it a shot man i would if if we had the uh the time and the 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 opportunity i, I would i would pick the gutless method over gutnet it for sure just because it's Saves a hell of a mess and you can still like get the tenderloins out. You can still get the heart out, get the liver out, whatever, whatever you want. Right. So it's, it's, um, it's still easy to do, but it's just, I found it so much cleaner than digging around in there with your, up to your armpits, trying to get shit out of there.
1: (laughs) I've, uh, I've learned a few tricks over time. And the one that I like the best is like when you take the moose and you basically break it's pelvic bone spread the back legs wide open mm-hmm. and then you take basically uh for anybody that's like doesn't want to hear graphic stuff fast forward this but you basically take their throat and you find like four like rings in their throat mm-hmm. and then you a rope around there and then you can actually pull that back through its like ass kind of thing yeah yeah and everything out the back yeah and then it's like you're not digging right yeah pull it, or you're not trying to flip a thousand pound animal over either you know but
0: yeah 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 i guess it depends on the situation how everything's situated to you right and uh yeah make that call when we get there but if i had i think i would go gutless if i if i had the choice just uh there's always something that you nick a freaking bladder or a stomach or something like that i feel like a lot compared to like all that stuff is just pretty pretty safe in there when you're doing gutless. Right.
1: So, then do you think it takes a lot more time or no?
0: It maybe took a little bit more time, but right. nothing crazy. Yeah. And it depends what you want to do. I'm like the one moose that we we did bring home, we we brought like full rib cages out too, right? So, if you're doing that, you're probably not going to do gutless. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, it's uh it's exciting to think about, you know, it's exciting just to think about we have that opportunity. To make that decision. Yeah. (laughs) Or we can make that decision. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed we can sniff one out and uh,
1: put one on the ground at least. Yeah. And that's why we have these conversations because I just remembered I don't have a bone saw in my pack right now. So I'm going to put that in my pack.
0: There you go. Well, I think uh, our buddy Trent is also bringing a cordless reciprocating saw. Oh, is he? Yeah. I do believe so, which is great for working on moose. (laughs) <laughs> exactly
1: yeah well mean, it's been uh it's been a slice catching up with you I, I mean we normally we talk on the phone like every other day but like since i've been in puck and log and i haven't been able to chat with you so um i've probably talked anyone that's listening i probably called chase about three times today asking about stupid shit about this trip but that's the way i roll so <laughs>
0: yeah well a couple of days we'll have uh a good five days to catch up and uh hopefully you'll we'll have some good stories to to tell everybody at the end of it. So
1: are we doing an online podcast? What's
0: that? I yeah. Oh hell yeah we are.
1: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well if anybody that's listening, thank you very much for tuning in. This is the hundred and thirty fifth episode that we've produced and without our listeners like you guys and you girls that are listening, we couldn't do it. So keep uh keep following us, keep listening. If you have time, give us a five-star rating on, on whatever platform you're listening to and leave a comment. If you have more time, go to our social media and check us out and throw us a DM. Tell us what's going on. Send us some pictures. If you want your your harvest um, shown or showcased on the Panoramic page, send it to us. We'll we'll be more than happy to throw it up. And anybody that wants to support us even farther, check out our store, www.panoramicoutdoors.com We have hats, toques, sweaters, t-shirts, uh, mugs, we got a whole bunch more cutting boards getting made at this moment, so to be ready for Christmas. And we have Catch and Cook. So if you know Jay Siemens or Josh McFadden, they've got that that uh, little spice mixture called Catch and Cook. We have it in our store, so check that out. You can bundle a bunch of stuff together and get your Christmas uh, Christmas presents done early. So check that out.
0: Right on. Well, we'll catch you on the other side of this one, folks. And uh, well, on the other side of the Moose Hunt, anyways. So good luck out there.